Hello, welcome to episode 75 of the Going Upstairs podcast from Opening Up Cricket. Today, I am joined by John Northcroft, who is one of the trustees of Opening Up Cricket. Um, And we're going to talk mainly about his experiences in his line of work. John is a football writer, principally with the Sunday Times, but also does his share of ghost writing. And that's why the episode is called My Life as a Ghost. What I found really fascinating over a number of years of speaking with John about this is the relationship between the author and the the player in his case as a football writer and what it is they want to get across and how it can be done in their voice. More, more recently, I did start to think with his most uh, most recent book with Peter Schmeichel about how close the relationship between a ghostwriter and the the player is to that of a counselling relationship or um, a helping relationship where you are required to do a lot of listening and the listening needs to be effective. The person speaking really needs to understand that you are taking it all in. So with that in mind, I, I decided it would be a decent idea and I hope when you listen you you agree with that, to explore it a little bit further with John and what his process is, how important listening in this circumstance is, but also what the wider lessons for it are. Anyway, without further ado, here's John. Welcome, John. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Mark. How are you? Yeah, I'm all not too bad, thank you. And yourself? Very good, thanks. Yeah, cracking away. Excellent. Well, that's the pleasantries out of the way. Not that it's about to get bitter and acrimonious, but you know, we've done that sort of default <laughs> intro there. Um, <laughs> we what struck me as the the idea behind having a chat about this was recently when I picked up the copy of of Peter Schmeichel's book, and knowing that you'd been. Um, working with him on that made me think then about how curious it is for someone to contribute so heavily to another person's story and this aspect of what it means to be a ghostwriter. I suppose my original uh, engagement with this concept was our mutual friend Chris Brereton when he was, um, when in fact he still does this kind of thing, mm. um, he, he ghostwrote the the book for uh, Fabrice Moamba also did Jimmy White and so on. And I remember getting a couple of nuggets from him there. So it'd be good to, to go with that. So to start with, can you just, just sketch out for us what the process is of being a ghostwriter? Yeah. I mean, first of all, to break it down technically, I suppose, just to say what a ghostwriter is, there's different levels of it actually, but the ghostwriter is, as the name suggests, the, the writer in the background that is um, actually constructing the text uh, in the voice and in the person uh, of the, the, the subject. And actually in, in sports books, so in, in the case of me and Peter and the books that Chris has done, um, the convention is that you're credited. So I, I am credited in the book, but actually some of the best paid ghostwriters, and this is maybe more an American thing, um, they're actually completely anonymous. So there's, there's so much in the background that you don't actually find out their names. And, and, and as I say, the, the Michelle Obama, for example, got nine 
million dollars for her um, memoir, which had an anonymous ghost. So it's that, that that's just to give people the idea of it, that, that that's your role. It's to be the writer, but it's to be um, the writer in the background and to put the subject uh, at the forefront and, and to write something in their voice. Um, and my relationship with Peter started through ghosting his, his newspaper columns 20 years ago. In my work for the Sunday Times, I've, I've, I've done quite a lot of column ghosting for different people, which is something I've always enjoyed. Uh, you develop a very close relationship with the subject as a, as a result of it. And Peter's book came about um, it, over a period of years, actually, where we had, we had a meeting in Manchester about six years ago where he said, uh, right, I'm, I'm ready to do a book. I want to do a book. And then nothing sort of came of it. Um, and in um, in lockdown, in first lockdown, right at the start, March 2020, um, completely out of the blue, he called me again and he said, right, I'm finally ready and I've got time on my hands. Um, and that was, that was how it went. It became our sort of project during that first lockdown. We spoke more or less every day for for the best part of three months, um, and we unravelled his life. But the key thing was he was ready by that point, um, uh, and he hadn't been he hadn't been ready before. Um, and I think I think I've answered a totally different question to what you asked. But anyway, that's where I'll start. That, that that's how it came about. No, that, that's that's spot on. Because I, um, I was going to ask, how is it that a a, a public figure selects a ghostwriter so there's that existing relationship which sounds like it's really important there is and peter peter's not somebody who certainly during his playing career was particularly close to journalists um so it was it was for him important to select the right person someone that he you know he had a long standing relationship with but maybe we'll talk about it as we go on that that you know trust is such an important trust and sort of chemistry is such an important aspect of ghosting um, that if it's not there between the ghost and the subject, then there's going to be carnage. Uh, if it is there, then you've got a chance of, of being able to produce something. Hmm. And in those conversations, so you mentioned that every day, pretty much for for three months, you were having these these conversations. Hmm. How, where's the balance between what is put in the book and what mm. isn't? Is it pretty much, say, in this case, Peter's saying, right, I, I definitely want to speak about this, or are you maybe trying to tease things out because you think that would be a yes. better focus? How does it work? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, it's the number of it, and it's one of the fascinations of the process. So one thing that's different to ghosting compared to doing a normal interview is that the conventions of a normal interview are that, you know, you sit down with um, the famous sportsman, let's say, um, you ask some questions and unless you agree, formally agree that something is off the record, then everything that is said is fair game. Ghosting's different. You are writing as them. So that means that they have absolute control over, or they should have control over what's going to be said. So, so you have, as a writer, you have to get your head around that first of all, that it's them, it's not you, you're not, it's not your article or, or, or story, it's them. Um, and really to make it work properly, you have to have confidentiality. You have to have the ability to talk 
in depth about subjects and not necessarily even even write about them because ultimately um, the subject's going to have um, the final say over that. So, I mean, without uh, trying to disclose, there was, there was actually an entire chapter that we, we just more or less canned in the end because Peter told me a long it was a period of a couple of years of his life, uh, quite an interesting story, set of stories to do with this this thing that, that, that was going on. And in the end, he decided he didn't want it. Um, and you have to respect that. Um, as for how you sort of manage the conversation, as in as a ghost, as the interviewer, I think the best thing, best way to describe it is it's, it's a guided conversation. You know, you don't just sit down and say, right, what are we going to talk about today? You know, your role is to have um, an idea of what the story needs and to try and, and the key subjects and to try and guide them through it and to ask tough questions. As I say, it's up to, it will be up to them in the end whether they want those answers to be in there, but but part of the job is to try and push them a little bit. So we we spoke about his, his experience with Ian Wright when he was accused of, um, uh, of racial abuse. Quite a painful episode, you know, for, for Peter. Uh, probably something he'd rather not have revisited, you know, quite traumatic for him. But I, I really I realized as a ghost, you have to have you have, that had to be in the in the story. Um and we had to go down those avenues. We talked about David Boost, which which you'll um, you know, as a cough fan, remember only too well. I mean, Pete, Pete, Peter was in in the goal mouth two feet away from when, when Boost's leg snapped and there was blood all over his goal mouth, and he was, you know, he he was he was suffered proper trauma because of that didn't really want to relive that so but, you, but it had to be in the book so you, you have to it's a guided conversation you've got to do your research you've got to arrive with an idea of what you need but you've got to um and you've got i think you need to try and take the subject down those avenues but when you gather the material together you have to respect that they're going to control what goes in and what does what doesn't, and you've got they've got to feel the space to talk to you about anything, um, and that you're not necessarily going to use that information. So there has to be a level beyond the professional where you're two human beings uh, just able to to chat about stuff um, with with absolute kind of innocence about it. Yeah. And with that, when one reads the the book or the uh, any of the books in this style uh, or mm. listens to it on on an audio how do you find that again balance between it being their voice because it's their story yeah. and they've told you all of these things but you're then writing it almost on their behalf mm. how do you tread that line of not slipping into it being sort of a Jonathan Northcroft's yeah. you know, account of Peter Schmeichel's life, yeah. but making sure it sounds authentic and, yeah. and genuine to what he he's trying to communicate. I mean, it, that that is one of the, if not the biggest challenge, just from a kind of technical writing point of view. And funnily enough, the first Peter's newspaper column was the very first ghost thing I ever did. So this was 2002. And I've, I'll never forget the first, effort that I, I had um I, I kind of wrote it like a sort of flowery broadsheet newspaper article with a kind of clever intro and all that sort of stuff and I sent it to him and you know I was quite scared of him really to be honest I was quite a young journalist and he was Peter Schmeichel and he 
just came back and he hated it. And he said, that does not sound at all like me. And um, I had to basically strip out all the pretension and, and, and try and write it more as Peter Schmeichel. So actually, he's the one that right from the start of my ghosting sort of life taught me the lesson. Um, thankfully, when I came to do this book, I had 20 years of, of doing various, you know, David Moyes, Patrick Vieira, Martin Yol, various Wayne Rooney, different people that I've ghosted. Um, but a book is a different um, different beast to writing a 1,500-word column. You know, the, the, a book's 130,000 words. So there has to be consistency about the voice, and you have to get it right. And again, with the first chapter of the book, which starts in 99 uh, in, the, in the Champions League final, I probably had to draft that four times because initially I had fallen back into old habits and it was it was quite a flowery and pretentious kind of um, beginning. And it's, it's funny, when you sit down to write, you've got all these other books that you've read in your head and you start writing as a, you know, you, oh, I'm actually trying to write that in the... That's like that Brian Clough book I wrote. I can't write it in that style. And, and you almost got to clean your mind. But the way that I sort of finally got Peter's voice, more or less, I think, was um, I just kept listening to his tapes back again and again and again. I was listening to them in the car on drives home. Uh, I got to the point I would, I'd, I'd have a bath and I'd, I'd, put, I'd just put a, one of our tapes on and just try and listen to him talk. Um, there's an added kind of challenge in that Peter is Danish and English isn't his first language and although his English is good um it's not spoken as a as a um you know first language speaker so it actually does have to be tidied up a little bit as well so it was, it was getting his voice tidying it up making it authentic but also making it like a book um and it's, I'd imagine I've never acted but I'd imagine it's a little bit similar to kind of getting in character for an actor I suppose the proof of the pudding is there'll be a group of people who will cut across both of the yeah. audiences who will read your stuff on the Sunday Times, will also read this book. And I think from, from what I've read in the book, it's it's clear that it's it's not the same approach yeah. and the, the same style. So, so you're definitely ticking the box uh, from this um, completely unqualified if you like yeah absolutely and um, we spoke beforehand about the kind of the I guess the the privileged position that you can be in in terms of that relationship that mm. someone is treating the experience as almost a form of confessional or or almost like a therapeutic experience mm. because mm. they can unload that and you mentioned the importance of confidentiality, maybe yeah. not something that, that people would assume is going to be the case. So in terms of that and your listening skills, and of course you get the benefit of recording it and going back to it, but what's it taught you over these years about how important it is to apply that focus on what exactly they're saying rather than what you maybe mm. think they're going to say? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question, really, because it's it's it, it, it's what you it's what you try and hone over the years, and I I don't know. Um, it's a case of I think you you used the word listening. Okay, so you have to properly listen and pick up 
not just, I suppose, the words, but, but observe the body language and try and work out what, you know, is something not being said here that I need to uh, probe at? Is something, is this thing that they're talking about actually really important to them? And they're, they're kind of talking about it in a light way, but I can see through the body language that it's a bit more important than that. So you, uh, there's all those little nuances um, that you've that you've got to pick up. Um, and you've got to, you know, I also mentioned like how it was a guided conversation because you as a author want to get a certain amount of stuff but at the same time you do have to be sensitive to their needs I suppose and allow them to go down avenues that they maybe didn't know they wanted to go down um, and all I can say at the end of it funnily enough Peter actually said to me one of the last things he said to me in the last tape was this has been like therapy for me and we had a laugh about that um, and in a funny way I found it quite therapeutic as well, um, because you know, I'm I, I turned fifty this year. Peter's fifty-eight this year, and as much as speaking about football, it was speaking to a guy that's you know, like a few years older than me, slightly in the slightly the next stage of life, or the, or or you know, slightly further through the stage of life that I'm entering, talking about his life and talking to some talking talking to him every day about his life. You know, I actually, you don't get the chance to do that very often. So I actually found it privileged from that point of view. And he's a very interesting man, a reflective kind of guy who's lived an incredible life. And a lot of it was him just looking back and what, what I could have done differently when I was younger, why I, did, why I was able to achieve certain things, his relationships with people in his life. I found it quite therapeutic and it gave me a lot of cause for reflection on a personal level, just going through that, that process with him. And... I know that he and he found it useful too because one of the things he said to me at the outset is I don't like looking back, and we had a laugh and said, "Well, that's not really a good recipe for an autobiography, then, is it?" Um, but by the end of it, he said, I, "I actually, you know, I didn't expect to enjoy the process of looking back, uh, but I have, and I found it useful." Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was from that. It was a very special experience. For me, just just for those reasons, I suppose, just on a human level. Mm. And do you think, in the case of Peter and, and and all and the others over the years, that it's that process of of sharing that is the most rewarding part, more so than actually the final product of the book going on the shelf? Yeah, probably on on a human level, doing something together, achieving something together. Because that's another thing that you don't necessarily do as a writer much. You know, it's a solitary thing. But this is actually working as a team, which is something that I enjoy doing. I've always played team sports and um, I enjoyed that aspect of it, producing something um, together. And we did a couple of publicity things recently and it was, it was like a reunion, you know, like the band was getting back together. It was really, really, uh, really nice uh, to be able to do that. Yeah. And the parallels with, with say, a counselling or, or mm -hmm. a psychotherapy relationship, I think, are are naturally there. It's not a forced uh, comparison because you've you've talked, as we've mentioned a couple of times, about the confidentiality, and th there will be things which, like you mentioned, with the chapter that yeah. not included in the end, that they'll give out, but then maybe 
mm-hmm. your responsibility then is to, is to not take that any further. I'm interested in perhaps the boundaries that exist as well. It sounds in this case that he, he was, you know, a, a pleasure to work with in that mm. you, you had your times where you arranged to, to speak and you did, and it was done in, a, in an efficient, you know, professional manner. What can off, can often sort of slip in, whether this being in professional life or in, in a personal life, that sometimes we struggle with our boundaries with other people and we maybe let them off the hook for taking advantage of us, allowing them to be late or yeah. to, you know, impose in a certain way. How do you, how have you dealt with that over the, the years, that, that balance between being there to work with them, but also having to, to potentially set some parameters? Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, my uh, my two kids kept coming in and out of the room while I was, so they kept breaking any boundaries that, that me and Peter were trying to have. And uh, it's funny because I ended up, I ended up, you know, seeing his wife on camera and all that sort of stuff. Um but I know the, I know what you mean. I mean, there were there were some boundaries in 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 our conversations. There were some places that we we didn't go that I could I could clearly didn't want to go. So um, those had to be respected. Um, and it's a you can develop a close relationship with someone that you're ghosting for, but there might at certain points you might have to um, pan the camera back and be objective. And and you know, in my case. For example, um, David Moyes would be an ex- a, a good one where I, you know, I'm, I'm close to David. I've, I've, I've ghosted him before. We've known each other for years, but his career has been up and down. It hasn't, it hasn't always been full of success. And there's been times you have to say that as a journalist. Um, I think on a personal level, I don't find. I, I'd like to think I don't find it too hard to understand that you know you might develop a close relationship. Um, but ultimately, he's still a famous footballer, and I'm a writer, and that's where the higher, that's where the roles are. Um, I think I have, I think sometimes maybe some writers or um, maybe it has happened that people suddenly feel that they're, you know, they want to be in the VIP section with the um, with the famous person and. Uh, you know that 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 ain't me. I, I, in fact, even if I was offered to be, I, I probably wouldn't want to know. I wouldn't want to. Wouldn't know what to do in the VIP section. So, but yeah, I think I think it has. I think it's maybe with younger writers, it's happened a few times where they they suddenly feel like they're um they're they're one of the one of the gang when they're they're not. You got to understand what your roles are. You know, probably a bit like a therapist and a and a subject where you can get close. You can you can you can share. Um, intimate conversation but you have to also understand why you're both there yeah and that's that's interesting that i suppose in in your scenario there is no ethical framework that that is applied to it it's very much how you want to do it whereas say in the world of counseling BACP ethical framework and this guides people to say actually that would be inappropriate and would 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 breach a boundary that we've tried to to set up. Well, yeah. One other thing before we go to the the, the, the wrap up about a, another kind of boundary, which always intrigued me, is the book. This book, for example, uh, it feels like it's a it's it's long enough to be able to explore 
not just the football. So, of course, the readers got it because they want to know about those glory days from Man United, how retirement was, a mm. little bit about Casper, those kind of things. But there's enough to be able to talk about his upbringing and how he felt off the pitch during his career. Do you get a, a directive, say, from the publisher or indeed the the, the 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 player or the person that you're working with as to how much you want to to share yeah. or is there a lot of flexibility there well one of the nice things actually about doing books is that the publishing industry is a lot kind of gentler or more gentlemanly than the newspaper industry where you know your editorial team will tell you what they want they'll decide what the headline is. And when you deliver the copy, um, you know, they may well chop bits out and jig things around to fit the template they want. And, and you can have to, you know, thankfully the Sunday Times, I'm not to do that too often, but if I speak to colleagues on uh, other titles, um, you know, they, they, they face terrible battles sometimes with someone else deciding what they want the copy to be, no matter what, what it is. There's more autonomy in, in, in book writing. Publishers are very nice and, and will sort of, oh, would you mind if you just get, you know, I want to make this tiny change or do you think you might be able to put this chapter here? I mean, just, just very much leaving it up to, up to you. But, you know, as a professional writer, I suppose, you know, I started in 1999. Uh, and I, the one thing I promised myself at the outset was I wasn't going to start with 1999 because I've read too many Man United books the start on the pitch in 99. Oh, here we go. It's another Man United book starting in the Champions League final. And uh, I had other ideas. And then when I came down to it, you have to you have to have that professional writer's head and understand what's the audience here. And also, what's the story here? What, why is this guy famous? He's Peter Schmeichel. He won the European Cup. He was a captain. You know, you kind of had, had to start there. So, um, in terms of balance, I knew that the, 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 the Manchester United chapter of his life was, first of all, the most important chapter he would say of his life, but also the most important chapter of his life in terms of, of, of readership. And that had to go up front. That had to go, I mean, there's, you know, there's a very interesting family backstory about his parents that I needed to get in. Um, a lot of, as we alluded to, a lot of, the process of Peter reflecting as an older man about things that had gone on. He's a guy that did a lot in his career that, that you maybe forget, you know, playing for Aston Villa, playing in Portugal, winning the Euros with um, Denmark. So it had to fit all of those things together. But um, in, term, in terms of content, I, I guess I decided, but probably the years of training helped me understand, you know, ultimately what are people going to want when they pick this book up and i figured out that the majority are going to want manchester united so that's why that went first and probably why it was as big in the book as it was and then i fitted everything else around that and as you've you pointed to uh, throughout what we've been talking about there is that collaboration and things were left out that mm. might have gone in and and all the way through i'm sure yeah of course, Peter's consent to, to the way things have, have looked from there. So I suppose just to finish, without maybe getting too deep or philosophical about this, although you do that if you wish, um, what does this kind of process teach you 
primarily as a writer, but also in general as a as a as a person about 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 life and about what the meaning of our relationships with other people is. I can see you smiling because I have gone slightly. Uh... <laughs> you just said, "Don't don't get deep about this," but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, in, in, interested. I think. I think in terms of writing, I've probably spoke quite a lot about the the, the process, but it emphasised to me that a writer has to be, and I, I, this is going to sound like full humble, but a writer has to be humble because it, it, it's not about you. Certainly not in ghostwriting. It's not about you. It's about the subject, and uh, the more that you can take your own ego out of it the better in terms of life I mean what was interesting I suppose was you know I kind of said we're similar getting towards similar ages and and it will come to you Mark but you you get to this kind of midpoint in life and you will start to look back quite a lot because you realize you've you've gone quite a long way in the journey and you probably don't want to look back but you sort of start to do it and it was interesting going through that process with someone and finding out. So I think different people have got different minds and different ways of assimilating events that happen in their life um, and different memories. Now, for example, I said I've, I've, ghost, I've ghosted Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney's, Wayne's got a funny mind. He's like strangely kind of uh, like well, photographic mind. So I could say it away in 2006, you play in Portugal, um, World Cup quarterfinal, Ronaldo winks at the referee and Wayne will go, yeah, yeah, because what happened there was, you know, I did this and I, as I was walking off, there was a water bottle. I kicked the water bottle, I turned left and I mean, he can put himself back there. Peter has got a mind like mine. I, he, he's got nothing in it in terms of like detailed memories. But what he, he but he's a person that, I think remembers how he felt about things rather than what actually happened. So it was fascinating just going through um, his life on that basis and also observing how there are certain things in his life he's had to reconstruct a narrative about it. For example, the 1999 final, when the final whistle went, he said, he doesn't, he, you know, he said genuinely he doesn't remember anything because he was so full of adrenaline. It's just like a massive release. But he said, I've got all these stories in my head because I've listened, I've been to so many dinners over the years and listened to so many people tell me their memories of what happened. And now I've got a story in my head of what did happen to me, but it's not my story. So um, I found it fascinating just, you know, as a kind of exploration about how the human mind works and maybe helped me look at myself and think, that, so this is your relationship with the past that's maybe a bit like Peter's, maybe not like Wayne. Do you know what I mean? Um, and in terms of in terms of relationships, I think Peter's someone that um, he he would say himself, and it's in the book really. Has it's been a process for him? It's, it's been something he's 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 got relationships right in the end, but he's had to work with it, work on them. And relationships are never kind of set in stone; they're always unfolding. So him and his father, and I, it was a, a complicated relationship. Um, his father became an alcoholic, uh, had a very traumatic childhood back in Poland. Um, they weren't necessarily that close as, as, as you know, when Peter was um, a younger man. 
but they became very close towards the end of his father's life um, and confided in each other quite a lot. So um, Peter also has had an unfolding relationship with Casper, his, his, his son, who you know has followed in his footsteps, and they've got the most incredible you know close relationship now. And I guess it was were close, but there's a time when Peter was playing that he didn't have so much time to spend with his kids. Um, and it was a different relationship. So uh, what I learned about the human relationship side of things is just exactly that, that it's a, it's, it's a, a, a daily unfolding process for people. Um, and, you know, the end point might not be anything like the starting point of those relationships, but, but with, I guess, goodwill that, you, you know, you, you, you can get to the destination you want. If that, I don't know if that sounds a bit kind of, like a self-help book or something like that. I don't know. Oh, no, no. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I guess what we've what we've dis- discovered or perhaps not discovered, we knew it all along through this discussion is just those the quality that you get from having a proper conversation with someone. And I guess this is like a conversation amplified yeah. so much because they're so regular and they are, they have to be in depth. Yeah. But I guess anyone listening can think, how much you can get from just genuinely wanting to know about what someone has to say. And of course you had to for the book, but that doesn't mm-hmm. turn off the other side of you, which thinks as a, as a human being, as a football fan, as father, as, as son, what, everything else, mm-hmm. this is really interesting to connect over it. So uh, that's certainly got me thinking about it. Right, John, well, a, a pleasure to chat. Um, and I wish you all the best with, um, you know, con- the, the continuation of what you're doing. Fantastic, mate.